The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Well, the last few weeks have been very challenging for us as Americans. We've lost about over 18,000 people as a country. In New York State alone, we've lost over 7,000 people due to coronavirus. And we're just inundated with all these images of death, and we're inundated with these images of refrigerator trucks going to New York City because the morgues are so full, and it just seems like death is all around us. And in moments like this, it's often natural to ask questions like, when are things going to return to normal? And maybe even a more troubling question, are things going to return to normal? I remember after 9-11, we asked ourselves the same questions. After we had that, previously we had this sense of security that we're safe on American soil, but after that event, we wondered, could we ever feel safe again? So times of uncertainty caused us to ask those questions. And we live in a time of uncertainty, but probably not as uncertain as the time that Ezekiel lived in. The Israelites during Ezekiel's time, they had uh, Jehoiakim as their ruler, and he was on the throne for just three months, and then Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he brought many of those, many Israelites into exile. The scene is described in 2 Kings 24, 11-15 this way. It says, And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon. 
himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made, as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor. Ten thousand captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, none remained except the poorest of the people. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now just think about what happens here in Judah during this time frame. It seems like everything that is good about Judah, about Israel, is, has been taken away from them. Their king has been exiled. Their mighty men, their craftsmen, they have been exiled. The articles in the temple, the articles of gold that Solomon had created, their implements for worship, all of these things have been taken away. And it says in the text that all they have left is the poorest of the poor. Everything that was meaningful to them had been taken away. And sometimes maybe we feel a little bit like that in the current situation that we're in. Many of the things that are meaningful to us have been taken away. We can't go to a movie or go out to eat. We can't go to a shopping mall. We can't go to a concert. We can't get together with friends and play basketball or play board games. We can't even meet with extended family on Easter. We can't get together as a church. This is the first time that I remember in my life that I've never that I wasn't in church on Sunday morning worshiping with the people of God. And so it seems like all of these things have been taken away from us and we have this feeling of emptiness and uncertainty and that's what the Israelites were experiencing during the time of Ezekiel. This emptiness as all the good things that made Israel Israel seem to be taken away. So into that context, God takes Ezekiel to this valley of bones. And in that valley, we are told a couple of things about those bones. We're told first that there are many bones in this valley. And what that indicates is that this is a place of mass tragedy. The fact that there's all these bones that are lying together indicates that this is a mass grave, that some catastrophe has come upon these people, whoever they were, and has overtaken them, and now it's a place of tragedy and sorrow. We're also told that the bones are dry, indicating they've been there a long time, indicating that they're not coming back. These people are dead as doornails. And so this is a place of tragedy, a place of dry bones, where there was this mass, mass casualty, where there were so many bodies that they couldn't even be buried, and they've been there so long that there's no hope that anything is going to change. And into that context, God asks Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? He says, Son of man, can these bones live? 
And I imagine that Ezekiel is thinking in his mind, uh, no, they can't live. They are dry bones. They are dead. They're not coming back. But of course, he gives the diplomatic answer and he says, oh, Lord, you know. You know if they can. I, I don't know if they can. I guess you know if they can. But sometimes we face situations in our life where we ask ourselves the same questions. Where we ask ourselves the question, can these bones live again? We think about the current crisis and the fact that we're not able to meet as a church. And we think about what life is going to be like post-coronavirus. And we think, can it ever go back to normal? Can these dry bones live again? Or maybe as we've been home and quarantined with our families, it started to bring out issues in our marriage. And maybe that spark that we used to have wasn't there, isn't there anymore. And maybe we've been given to, to strife and trials. And maybe we wonder, can these bones live again? Maybe we look at our bank account and we look at our 401k and we think, how am I ever going to retire how am I going to put food on the table? And we wonder, can these dry bones live again? Or maybe we look at our health and the fact that our bodies are decaying and breaking down as we get older. And we ask ourselves the question, can these dry bones live again? And maybe if we're honest, we're like, not so sure. Or maybe if we're honest, we would say, I, I don't think that they can. That God tells Ezekiel in this context to do something that from a human standpoint seems foolish. It seems unreasonable. He says, son of man, prophesy or preach to these bones. Preaching to dead bones. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But he does that. And as he does that, those bones start to come to life. Those bones start to gather together and ligaments form around them and skin covers them and the bodies return. But that's not enough. They're still dead bodies. And so he prophesies again the word of the Lord. And as he does that, then the breath of God comes into those bodies. And then those bodies get up. And it says in the text that those bodies become a great army. Just like God spoke creation into existence, God speaks the word through his prophet Ezekiel and these dead bones rise up again and he breathes the breath of life in them and they become a great and mighty army. He takes what is dead and decaying and he brings it to life and makes it something incredible. And we're told again in verses 11 to 14, God uh, tells Ezekiel this, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God tells the people 
God tells Israel, the people of Israel are dry bones. Spiritually, they are dead. Spiritually, they are without hope. It's not as if they need to do a little change of course, a little change of direction. They need a resurrection because there is no spiritual life in them. Fast forward several hundred years. Jesus dies on the cross. He's brutally murdered. His side is pierced. His body is wrapped up. He's placed in a tomb. And as if to add anything else to that, a big stone is rolled over the grave and a soldier is put on the outside just in case someone would try to steal his body or something fishy would happen. And if you were to ask Jesus' disciples in that moment, can these bones live again? They would probably say, no. There's no way these bones can live again. His body has been crushed. His body has been brutalized. He's in the grave. He's sealed up in there. There's no hope for this man. And yet Luke chapter 24 says this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And in that moment, Jesus declared once and for all that dead bones can live again. And I believe this Easter, we're reminded of the fact that dry bones can live again because Jesus rose from the grave. Dry bones can live again because Jesus has risen from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that even the greatest of darkness cannot be overcome, can be overcome by God. And from there, Jesus gave his disciples a new commission that they were to go out and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is a victory that can be won over, the sin, over sin, grave, and, the death, and death. And we're told in the scripture, we see throughout the book of Acts, that as that message is proclaimed, as the people speak God's word, dry bones do come to life. In Ephesians 2, chapter 5, uh, 2, verse 5 says that in our natural state apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins. But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, he has made us alive. We were dead. We were dead bones, but Jesus made us alive. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ could not be more relevant today. John Stott said this, the resurrection somehow resonates with our human condition. It speaks to our needs, as I reckon no other event of antiquity does or even could. I believe there are three implications for the resurrection for today and the crisis that we're experiencing. Three implications for the fact that dry bones can live again. The first implication is that there's no person who is too broken. There's no person who is too broken. Some of us, maybe who are listening, we wonder if God, if we've gone too far from God, and we wonder if God really could love us. 
We wonder if we could put back the pieces of our life that are broken. Or maybe for those of us who are believers, we have loved ones who don't know the Lord, and we wonder if their lives could really change, if really they could turn to God. And sometimes I think we have trouble with this because we see Christianity as a self-improvement religion rather than a resurrection religion. We see it as a self-improvement religion, as in we just make a choice, we just do a few little tweaks, and then we're okay. But Christianity isn't a self-improvement religion, it's a resurrection religion. If we're going to be changed, if we're going to be transformed, we need to be brought from death into life. We can't pick up the pieces of our life. We can't change on our own. My father-in-law works for GM and he's a machine repairman. And so his job is to make sure the machines are running correctly. And if one breaks down, he has to go and fix that machine. Now, say a machine, a big machine breaks down that's making these car parts. And imagine he goes to that machine and rather than fix it, he says, all right, now you fix yourself. I mean, that would be foolish to do. It's not going to fix itself. He has to either intervene or that machine is going to keep doing the same things or maybe it's even going to get worse and maybe even harm someone. See, God doesn't ask us to fix ourselves. He knows we can't fix ourselves. But he says, allow me to fix you. Allow me to forgive you. Allow me to give you life. Allow me to raise your life from the grave. For some of us, maybe we're still spiritually dead today. Maybe we've never allowed God to come into our lives and spiritually to bring us back to life again. And if that's you, today, maybe you just need to accept God's free gift of salvation. Trusting that we can't do it ourselves. Trusting that only He can transform us and bring us to Him. For those of us who are believers today, maybe there are areas of our lives where we've been in these patterns of sin and we've tried with all of our might to fix these patterns of sin and yet we just keep getting deeper and deeper and doing the same things over and over again. Maybe we need to be reminded today that we can't resurrect those areas of our life ourselves. Maybe we need to remind, be reminded today that those dry bones in those areas of our life need somebody else from the outside to come and to resurrect them. And maybe we need to stop trying to win the battle in our own strength and trust in God to come in and transform us and to make us new. To resurrect those areas of our life. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says this, when we despair of gaining inner transformation through human powers of will and determination, we're open to a wonderful new realization. Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. And when we allow God to come in and to transform us, the results are unimaginable. There's a story, Tim Cullors tells a story about a minister who went to the cemetery he was doing a funeral and he saw this grave that was several hundred years old. And this person who was buried was not a Christian and he was in fact very opposed to Christianity. 
and kind of afraid of the whole uh, idea of Christianity. And so what he did was when he was buried, he instructed for this ginormous slab of concrete to be put over his grave. And he had these insignias around that said that he didn't want to be raised from the dead. He said he doesn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. But apparently, when he was buried, a small little acorn must have fallen into the grave. And after about a hundred years, that acorn popped up and cracked open that concrete vault that was over his grave. The minister looked at this and saw it towering oak tree that had gone through the grave. And he asked if an acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? Keller comments and says, the minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you grow in the power of the resurrection. There's no one who's too broken for God to fix. The second thing the resurrection reminds us of is that there's no circumstance that's too dark. The circumstance of the cross Good Friday was the worst circumstance from a human perspective that could be imagined. The disciples' greatest dreams and hopes had been shattered on Good Friday. The hope of humanity was buried in the grave, yet on, Good, on Easter Sunday morning, hope rose up from the grave. Now, I'd like to give you the hope and the encouragement, I'd like to tell you that things in our temporal circumstances that are going to change, they're going to change fast. Now, I hope that that is the case, but I'm not a scientist or an epidemiologist, and I can't predict those kind of things. So I can't assure you of that, but I can assure you that you don't have to live in darkness. I can assure you of the fact that resurrection is always around the corner for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, you can hold on to this one truth this morning. God has good things in store for you. God has good things in store for you. Just as he spoke to Israel in Jeremiah 29, 11, he has plans to prosper us. And when I'm saying that, I'm not talking about necessarily financial wealth or physical health. I'm talking about spiritual health. And hopefully, you know, maybe he'll give us those things along the way. But he has a plan in mind. And he has our good and his glory in mind. He's not going to allow anything to happen that's outside of that purview. And so we can have the assurance that there's no darkness it's too great for God. There's no circumstance that's too dark. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
So we trust in God's resurrection power that there's no circumstance that's too dark, that God is working for our good, for his glory. The third reminder that Easter gives us is that there's no fear that's too overwhelming. There's no fear that's too overwhelming. Now there's a lot of things that we could fear in our world today. Of course, the pandemic is the biggest thing. But we could also fear uh, economically what's going to happen. We could fear uh, what's going to happen in terms of our families or uh, in that, on the national scene. We could fear so many different things. But the Bible tells us there's only one thing that we should fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So the one thing that we have to fear is the one who holds the power of life and death, who holds the power of whether we go to hell or don't go to hell. And that one, God, loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to the earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we might experience life with him forever. That one uh, is spoken of in verse 32 of cha- Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to tell us that because of the resurrection and what God is going to do, we no longer need to fear man's greatest enemy, death. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O oh, death, where is your sting? Of death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what obstacles we face, church, resurrection is right around the corner. God has good things in store for us. And we don't need to fear the things of the world. The one that we have to fear, God, is the one who loves us and gave everything for us. And we know that one day, He's going to resurrect our mortal bodies and we'll be with Him forever and ever and ever. And any experience, however terrible it is, on this planet is going to be light and momentary compared to what's waiting for us. Because God has prepared something that is unimaginable for his people. And so we don't need to live lives of fear. We can hold on to the hope that God is in control. That resurrection is around the corner. And that nothing that this world throws at us can ultimately harm us. Dry bones can live again because Jesus has risen from the grave. There's no person who's too broken. There's no circumstance that's too dark. There's no fear that's too overwhelming. Ladies and gentlemen, as a church, we're experiencing a different type of Easter. Hopefully this will be the only time we experience an Easter like this, where we're not with God's family, we're not together. Hopefully this is the only Easter where we're separated from our extended families and loved ones. But if there's any silver lining in this, maybe this is a reminder of what really matters. Maybe this is a reminder that when you peel back all the layers of what this holiday called Easter is, 
Maybe it's a reminder that the only thing that matters is the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen from the grave. John Ortberg gave a sermon on Easter Sunday in 2009 after a different crisis, not on the magnitude of this crisis, but after the financial crisis. And he said this in his sermon. He said, people have not gathered for the past 2,000 years to say, the stock market has risen. It is risen indeed. They've not gathered to say the dollar has risen. It is risen indeed. Or the employment rate has risen. Or the gross domestic product has risen. Or General Motors has risen. Or the value of your 401k has risen. Here's the one hope that has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia of difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Son of man, can these bones live again? Yes, Lord, these bones can live again because you defeated sin and death once and for all in the resurrection. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you didn't leave us to your own devices, to our own devices, Lord, that you didn't ask us to fix ourselves, but you came down to the earth through your son, Jesus, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and that you defeated sin and death once and for all through the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for that resurrection hope, that resurrection power. We thank you for the fact that there's no person who's too broken for your love. There's no circumstance that's too dark. There's no fear that's too overwhelming because you're a God who raises dry bones to life. You are the God of the resurrection. And we hold on to the fact that as believers, we know that resurrection is just around God, you are a great God. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Christ's name I pray.